Another big week on the Emerge Cricket Podcast from the recently concluded Women's Capricorn Tri-Series, a look to the Fair Break Tournament, a can-run T20 League, and more. But first, a shout-out to our friends on Patreon. If you're passionate about cricket in the associate world and beyond, you can help us grow from as little as $2 a month by becoming an Emerge Cricket patron. To sign up, log on to patreon.com forward slash Emerge Cricket. Up next, plenty to discuss in the Emerging Game. Another busy week in the emerging cricket world, and we have it all for you on the Emerging Cricket Podcast this week online and on Sport FM in Perth. Nick Skinner, Tim Culler, and myself, Daniel Beswick, here to discuss it all. How are we, fellas? Tim, I'll start with you. It sounds like you've been making waves on the golf course again. Uh, do you want to uh, boast about your exploits before we get started here proper? Oh, not really. Because the um, handicap still has a two in front of it, so I'm, I feel like getting there. The, the, the line's going down, but uh, no, I had a good, good couple of days. Didn't embarrass myself too much, but uh, no, it was good. But that was nowhere near the great news that we got on Friday, that restrictions are, are now being relaxed uh, on a farte, no curfew, and information about quarantine for incoming repatriation flights up until July coming from Australia, New Zealand, Fiji, New Cow will only be for three days as opposed to the 14 days beforehand and a maximum of seven if you're coming from elsewhere and then full border reopening from 1st of July so it kind of means the world is a bit more normal to us when you start thinking about touring and hosting everything you said very quietly here because you never know what could happen <laughs> overnight the world the way it is at the moment but um, it was a good week. How are you, Daniel? I feel like we've got you back. It's like second week. I feel like you're back in the house. Yeah, still feeling the effects of uh, the uh, spicy cough, which managed to get me about a fortnight or so ago. Still feeling a little bit tired, but the time has freed up a little bit. So it's meant that you've been able to kind of have a bit more of a hands-on role from an EC point of view instead of just looking at things and bemoaning the lack of time that I might have had to help out. But yeah, good to be sort of back in, in the thick of it and watching plenty of cricket. There's been a big... Uh, emphasis on women's cricket this week with the Tri-Series in Africa. We'll talk about that in a moment. But yeah, I've just enjoyed sitting here and just watching and and writing about cricket almost as a, as a fan or someone uh, with more time to kind of invest in it. So it's been good. How are you, Nick? I know you've been keeping a, a keen eye on the women's Tri-Series that we will talk about in a moment. Another busy cricket, another busy week of emerging cricket, I, I should say. How have you been? Yeah, well, uh, Brooklyn's just started preparations, I guess you could say, for... Her uh, degree in Iceland, which is uh, coming up towards the middle of the year, so we're going to have to start uh, getting into visas and all that administrative stuff. But uh, yeah, exciting times. Uh, potentially stopping off in Canada slash USA on the way over, and uh, you know this is all very hypothetical, but uh, the idea is I'll uh, I'll be able to link up with our good friend Nate Hayes, uh, so that that should be good as well on the way. But uh, mostly mostly paperwork for now, but eventually we'll be going overseas. Nate Hayes, one of the greats of the EC community that keep things rolling. Once you guys finally meet up, I feel like the pieces of the emerging cricket puzzle will slowly be put together. And, I, and I've got to say, I, I can't lie. I've had a look at the, the calendar later in the year for potential Vanuatu visitations, mm. but that's for another podcast. Let's get into all of the T20 tri-series, the Capricorn series in Africa between Uganda, Zimbabwe and Namibia. 
Zimbabwe too strong, but that sentence alone I don't think justifies the competitiveness of this tri-series in general. Everyone played everyone three times. We saw Namibia surprise Zimbabwe early on in the tri-series, and we saw Uganda, while they didn't taste victory at all, they were extremely close on a number of occasions to steal victory. Just looking at some of their results, just if you look at a number of the results, they lost by inside 20 runs, 8 runs, 12 runs, 11 runs, then beaten by 22 runs and 28 runs by the respective oppositions. It shows that I think African associate cricket is in a pretty good place at the moment, Nick. And and talking to you, you watched a lot of this series. Uh, Zimbabwe, you'd think, are the strongest team out of the three, and the results would also highlight that. But they didn't have things their own way in the competition and while travelling to Namibia as well. Yeah, uh, well, as I uh, said before, we... Um... Come on, we're waiting for it. <laughs> uh, not, not to say I told you Here so. Here we go. Come on, yeah. say the line. I did mention that Diachat would be important to Namibia go. at the top of the order there, and uh, she hit 62 not out. And you said they would beat Zimbabwe. Let's not beat around the bush here. You predicted it for the first time <laughs> for Namibia to beat a full member. I promise we recorded this before. Everyone can go back and check yes. the tape. I can send... The time stamped, yep. The timestamp saved <laughs> audio upload from, from Nick as well. Uh, can vouch for him. But uh, yes, Arasta uh, Dirkhat at the top of the order there, uh, product of the Namibian development programs out in the regions, uh, hit 62 not out to uh, to guide Namibia to victory in their first match. As Tim mentioned there, their first win against a full member for the women's team, so that was exciting. Just to sort of start off, although I think it's worth pointing out, it was a good broadcast standard Pretty interesting they got the Capricorn Group, which is a financial service investment group in Namibia, uh, sponsoring. So that's another one of their sort of off-field successes has been attracting a number of sponsors to the men's and women's teams. So more good work on the um, administrative side there. But yes, maybe it was a, a bit of a shock to the Zimbabweans because they came back strongly in, in the rest of their games. Um, I don't know, were, were they taking Namibia a bit lightly? They dropped a couple of catches in that game and, and Namibia made them pay, but... Uh, yeah, Yasmin Khan as well looked fluent in a partnership with Diachat. So that, that chase where they hit 130-odd to, to get over the line and last over, I, I think that could or should be a blueprint for them, really. You know, Diachat being uh, technically solid at the top and, and having the other batters kind of batting around her seems to be the formula for them. Uh, Wilka Motile promoted up the order in that game to, to pinch it. She hit a six and a four in quick time and sort of just boosted their run rate to, to get them over the line as well. So that was an interesting one. She didn't really didn't really succeed um, subsequent to that. But um, yeah, so aside from Diachat with, with 141 runs, in the rest of their matches, she didn't really have a lot of support. Suna Wittmann hit 59 runs uh, at an average of 9.8. Yasmin Khan, 52 runs, average 8.6. And Kayleen Green, 52 runs, average 13. So, you know, if that's your supporting cast, yeah, you're going to struggle. And, and Namibia did get bowled out for some pretty low totals. Their bowling uh, managed to do the business against Uganda, uh, who... I think we've talked a bit about in the past just the, the fact that Uganda don't really have the batting depth to support their bowlers. But, uh, yeah, I- impressive with that win. I think their follow-up matches, they were a bit ragged in the field. They they made some basic mistakes with backing up and, you know, not getting the body behind the ball and, and those kinds of things, which, you know, that's the sort of stuff you should be able to, to control. And they were much better in that game against Zimbabwe. So, I, I don't know if it's a case of... You know, you, you, you make history and then it's sort of a bit of a come down from there. But um, 
Yeah, the, the other issue with their batting is that they got bogged down a number of times, especially against Zimbabwe, and they, they seem to have trouble rotating the strike if they can't get the big shots going, which to me indicates they're doing a lot of net practice and they're always hitting it in the same areas. And once Zimbabwe were able to put a fielder in the way of the shot, they're able to cut off the, the runs pretty effectively. And, and so the, the skill of, I guess, nerdling and, and finding gaps is something that you can pretty much only do by actually playing and yeah that's that's kind of a, a weakness for a number of um, women's associate teams but so that's probably where they can go I guess in the next step because you know if you if they were actually finding the gaps they could easily add another sort of 20-30 runs to most of their scores on the bowling side yeah, they, they were, again, they were decent, but they, they kind of lacked a spearhead. It was quite strange because Sylvia Shehepo, right arm seam bowler, she played all six matches, but she only bowled in four and she only got 10 overs. She's Namibia's leading T20I wicket taker, so I'm not quite sure what was going on there. Um, and uh, Wilka Mutile's uh, bowling radar was a bit off, so Suno Vitman was probably the, the leader of the seam attack there. Her and uh, Captain Irene Fonsale. Uh, Victoria Hamunyela and Kayleen Green, both very tidy with the spin uh, in the three and a half runs per over range. But yeah, they, they just didn't quite have the, the spearhead to be able to threaten Zimbabwe in the, their next two matches. Um, looking across to Uganda, as we've said, you know they, they bowled quite well, but they didn't, didn't have the batting to support them. Not a single batter hit a 50, whereas uh, Zimbabwe had three batters with 50s and uh, Namibia had that 150, which was the, the game against Zimbabwe where Dierkhart got them home. Um, Janet Mbabazi was the only batter with 100 runs. Fiona Kalume next best with 75 and then no one else with more than 50. So, you know, across... Six matches. That's that's really not good enough. Uh, it was it was quite a young team with with a number of debuts and and quite a few senior players missing, including previous skipper Immaculate Nakasuyi, due to some disciplinary issues, uh, which is that's that's the mail we're hearing, uh, which is disappointing for them. But it, it did allow some interesting new talent to come through. Contia Weko, I thought was quite good captaining. Um, you know, marshalling pretty limited resources, if we're honest. But uh, yeah, so Aweko bowled quite well with her leg spin. Mbabazi as well, backing up with the ball, with the ball, uh, getting a couple of four wicket hauls against Zimbabwe. So that was that was impressive. Um, and yeah, seventeen year old Fiona Kalume grabbed Uganda's first five wicket haul in in women's T Twenty internationals. Took six for eleven against Namibia, and uh, in that game where they bowled Namibia out for sixty eight, though unfortunately they were. Uh, the Uganda were bowled out for 40, so they still couldn't get close to the line in that one. But uh, yeah, Kalume was quite impressive. This is her first series. She's 17, gets really good bounce and, and, and good angle, decent pace for the level. So, you know, she's quite tall. So she's using that pretty effectively. Um, yeah, angling into the right-handers in that 6 for 11. She got five bolds and, and one LBW, and they they sort of, yeah, having trouble with the cut off the pitch. Um, so she looks like a pretty good prospect. And, you know, looking at women's cricket in general, seam bowlers uh, who can do anything really other than just sort of bang it in are in short supply. So this could be a really good find for Uganda. Um, yeah, as you said, a couple of times they got very close, uh, even though Namibia beat them each time. So that's, again, an experience thing, I think. They need to win a few more times and get more in the habit of doing that. Uh, they bowled better against Zimbabwe than Namibia did, which I thought was quite interesting. Um, you know, they, they bowled them out for 86 in one game, uh, which was a golden opportunity to get a a win. But yeah, as, as we said, just didn't have the batting Zimbabwe 
definitely the strongest team there. They have enough depth in the batting with Shane Mayers, uh, Chipo Mugheri and, and uh, Kellis and Lovu all hitting 50s. Josephine and Como also contributing. Um, and the fact that they have three batters hitting 100-plus runs means they can cover Marianne Masonda and, and Modesto Mupachikwa both having a quiet series. Uh, the bowling was kind of led by the spinners strangling the run rate with Precious Morangay, <laughs> impossible to get away, going a three and over. Anessa Mushangwe also in the wickets. Uh, Josephine and Como, bit of zip with the new ball. And yeah, Mavange was a decent prospect as well with the seam. So the fact that Zimbabwe are rotating players shows that they have uh, some, some talent coming through and they've just finished their domestic women's competition as well. So Zimbabwean you know, women's cricket seems to be in a decent spot at the moment, even though they did lose to Namibia. And as Bez alluded to, the fact that Namibia was able to get one over them. And you know, Zimbabwe didn't play badly in that game. Mugheri hit 80 <laughs> in in that match, but um, Namibia were just you know the better team, so the parity is pretty good at this level, and um, yeah, hopefully we see more of these series, and they can they can keep getting better and better. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? I, you know, after seeing Namibia in the World Cup qualifiers back in in 2018, and they got a not so much a free pass, but they were next cab off the rank after Zimbabwe got uh, suspended and and lost their places in global tournaments. You would have thought that they were coming in here, sort of the next highest rank behind Zimbabwe, but you know Uganda were actually ranked above. Namibia so it's good to see Namibia improving and maybe a few questions around the Ugandan team as competitive as they were and it makes you think well what does that mean for African women's cricket you know Tanzania are ranked 18 ahead of both Uganda and Namibia it just tells me that you know looking at a women's world cup qualifier that's coming up later this year I think um, September October which is only an eight team competition with the top two joining the eight teams that have already qualified the women's world cup it just shows how insufficient this is you know we're gonna have a men's T20 World Cup of 20 sides in 2024 that to see that number of teams you know another eight team comp like we saw in 2018 with only the top two feeding through just there's just not enough teams in these global events to support the growth of women's cricket you know this event was put on by members themselves and it shouldn't have to be up to them for these teams to be playing against each other frequently you know it'd be great to see a see Tanzania in there as well And, and remember Zimbabwe only just pipped Namibia in the final of the the Africa qualifier for the global qualifier as well. So I just hope that, I think I've said this a million times already, but the more you talk about how these teams are growing and Namibia's first win in women's cricket as a full member, that the the ICC should be looking at at changing the numbers of teams in that global pathway or at least the global event. And perhaps, dare I say it, mirroring what's happening on the men's side in having more onus on regional qualification and you might actually say that there's there's basis for more more teams from from different regions in the women's game than in the men's game considering the different weight of rankings the way they are it's just probably a final one to add with the games at the cricket development ground uh in namibia which i think is hosting internationals probably for the first time uh without checking it probably means that those totals that were scored at the event were probably under what we would expect on something that was probably a little bit more suitable for batting so I think in some respects you don't want to pay too much attention to, to some of the particularly low scores just because they might be a little bit misleading on that front but again yeah Tim makes a really good point that 
you know, just with the eye test, you can deduce where the teams are kind of at between the three of them. And then when you look at them in the context of RCC rankings, it, it once again sort of emphasizes the same point that we've made in multiple weeks that the, the rankings probably aren't quite as effective or as reflective of, of the teams as as people might think that they are. And it's definitely something to think about once qualification for global events you know, is reliant on things like rankings. And we know what happened a couple of weeks ago in the ICC board meetings, which kind of belies everything that we keep harping on about. But it's just a point that continues to need. We need to keep raising that in order to kind of make a fair point of it. Some other news to come out of this or in the last week of, of Namibian cricket is that Sylvia Shepo has been picked up by the uh, Stockport Georgians in the UK as, as an overseas player in, in the women's league. So she'll be there from now until halfway through September in a, in a good season of cricket, which is only going to be beneficial for, for her game and, and she'll no doubt bring some of that expertise back to Namibian cricket as well. But it's it's a big weekend in the women's game and we can quickly brush on the, the fair break tournament which begins on, on the 1st of May. Still trying to work out all the teams for this. It's a six-team event, but just naming just a few players off the list of people that will feature in the tournament. Selena Solman uh, from Vanuatu, Tim, who you know very well, will, will be there. Uh, a number of players, both in associate ranks and, and full member sides. Uh, Roberta Moretti-Avery is another big name from the associate circles, but you could go through each of these lists that have been announced through Fairbreak on Twitter and other places around. Tim, the, the Fairbreak tournament, it's evolving every time it, it happens, and we've seen it being competed in a couple of different ways. This year, it's in, in UAE. It's, a, of course, a collaboration between Fairbreak and also with a big um, influence from Hong Kong cricket, some people that you know very well. For people who haven't really seen or heard too much about Fairbreak and the movement and the competition, what's it all about? Yeah, it's an interesting one as to how it's grown into something of this size. You know, it started life as a mooted, I think almost a women's IPL before people were talking about a women's IPL, about having a fully professional women's league. I remember at one stage in Hong Kong, uh, Sean Martin was sending pitch decks around and one came to, to Hong Kong potentially as a as a host. And it's interesting to see now that, that Hong Kong is basically to mean now really the home of a fair break with the majority sponsor being there. And I think there's no fewer than 12 of the Hong Kong women's team that we will be playing in this competition. Well, it would have been being in, in Hong Kong and since it's now going to be held in, in Dubai, they're still all, all flying over. So it's great for, for Hong Kong and their development from that point of view, but it's a chance here for a fully professional competition with players from more than 30 countries to come together and play in those six franchise sides and to give them the opportunities that perhaps they haven't had before and having some idea around the level of salaries being offered as well I think it's really game-changing in women's cricket you know there's really only I think if you look what's being paid in Australia and the the women's big bash and perhaps in England as well that's really going to be setting a standard for for what is possible for women's cricket and well, I'll be very intrigued to see what this is almost a proof of concept I think of, of what Fairbreak can be and, and the quality of well, the play the pitches that they play on I still don't know whether they'll be playing on the academy pitches or the stadium and there and likewise with the level of broadcast I saw that uh, Fairbreak tweeted earlier in the week saying that they would soon be announcing broadcast partners and I guess we're 
you know, less than a week away now from the start. So hoping that information gets out soon so everybody can find a way of watching it. On the flip side, I just hope it, it does find an identity because, you know, it's not attached to a country and the teams do seem to have attachments to the, the sponsor that's behind it. But it really is a bit of a, a new concept where the, the only the closest I can think of it on the men's side is maybe, dare I say it, the T10 league that whilst they still have some names that are sort of to that area or what the UAE T20X was going to be with sort of teams again that weren't too tied to that region so I think it's really the the first time that we've seen something that's been sanctioned you know remember the Asian Premier League that was played in Nepal you know five years ago that had got everyone banned that didn't really have any identity about being in Nepal it just happened to be playing being played there so I just hope it finds a place Um, and I don't so much want other companies to copy what they're doing because you know I think there's only so much space in in the game at the moment for for events like this but I hope it gets the support that it deserves because you know you sort of look at it you think well there's players coming from from all around the world that's a that's a lot of money to be paying flights and accommodation and it's not a short tournament either you know we talked talk about shorter tournaments and starting some more but this is two weeks on the field so there's days before and days after so look they're the ones sort of with the purse strings and making the decisions around around cash there I just I just hope it's able to support itself and they don't sort of blow out too hard too early but I you also know what it's like at the moment about trying to get a place people's attention so I wish them only the best because you know no, no one else is doing anything like this you know the IPL from a men's point of view makes half a billion dollars a year and is about to double or triple that so they could do something like this standing on their head and they choose not to so the fact that a, a private entity has gone out and, and put this together yeah any questions about well identity of teams and what does it actually mean I'm happy to sort of put to one side and watch what they're actually doing for the players in the game because if this creates something that more girls around the world saying I want to play cricket because of this opportunity then I'm, I guess it's done its job I just hope that they'll get the support that it, it needs to continue and then hopefully that this goes on to, to growing around the world where there's opportunities for more and more girls and women to play and not necessarily 12 from Hong Kong but there'll be different events giving more people from more, more countries an opportunity but it's it's an interesting one it just doesn't fit in the sort of cookie cutter approach to franchise cricket at all does it boys? Yeah there's a lot of innovative stuff going on I think the fact that you have these associate stars that, that we've seen playing at, at that level are going to be coming up against a, a number of full member players as well will be a, a really interesting barometer of you know, where the individual quality is up to and the the kind of you know attitude that oh well they play for an associates so they can't be much good if some of these players start you know turning heads and and um, scoring lots of runs and taking a bunch of wickets against so-called you know high quality players maybe it'll help dissipate some of that you know associate player stigma and and that's that's kind of the been the not not so much the promise but the the dream i guess for associate players in franchise tournaments is that you get a few in there and and you prove that they can perform and and it sort of breaks down some of the status barriers but aside from you know maybe sandeep and, and a couple of others it hasn't really happened at least not on the men's side so the fact that this whole fair break thing is is kind of as you said a bit of a proof of concept It'll be, yeah, really interesting to see how it goes. And some other kind of, yeah, interesting little bits and pieces. The Barmy Army supporting a team. That'll be interesting. I'm not quite sure what the idea behind that is. But, yeah, we'll see how that goes. I think, ideally, you know, it would be a tournament, as you're saying, with a bit more identity. I think that was kind of the direction they were going with, with the Hong Kong connection. But I guess circumstances... Uh, in in the city have kind of put a dampener on that with their you know, COVID
COVID policies and, and the, the protests and, and the Chinese crackdown and all that sort of stuff going on, I, I guess it maybe maybe in, in a few years' time they might revisit the Hong Kong thing, but at the moment I guess it, it's not really viable. But uh, yeah, ideally it would be... You know, imagine that you know, Hong Kong hosting the world's premier women's tournament. You know that that would that would be a good identity for it. Yeah, just to wrap it up again, uh, beginning on May one, going to May fifteen, and yeah, featuring players from all corners of the cricketing world, both full member and associate. Just having a look at, at just some of the names, and these are just some because it is rather star-studded from associate and full member circles: Kadali, Dotton, Harmanpreet Kaur, Rebecca Moretti, Avery, as we mentioned, Andrew Gurung from. Bhutan is there, Sterry Callis, uh, Marika Hill, Carrie Chan from Hong Kong, Georgia Redmayne, Marianne Musonda, Fatima Sana, Deepthi Sharma, Jamima Rodriguez, Selena Solomon, as we mentioned, Diana Bay, Kim Garth, Marazan Cap, Laura Wolvart, just just the, the type of players that we'll, we'll see at this tournament. So all looking forward to it once again, and we'll be covering that uh, in great detail as it commences. While that's happening, the UAE are also hosting Hong Kong in a T20I series, Nick, and just looking to you, uh, UAE announcing an experimental squad, Tim, you've made the point in our notes too that that's down to quite a few of the, the players on both teams uh, playing in fair break as well. But it's a good opportunity for, for players from UAE, UAE and Hong Kong to, to get some uh, game time under their belt uh, against some uh, quality opposition. Yeah, it's funny. The I guess the UAE is uh, you know very well placed to do this sort of thing, but you know, a whole bunch of, uh, of Hong Kong players going over to do the fair break and so the UAE just thought oh well, why not tack on a, a T20 series and, and um, the fact that they are in that geographic location allows them to take advantage of these opportunities it should be a good series it's interesting that it's being sponsored as well by the Sky Exchange people who I think were behind the uh, the men's team sponsorship uh, in in the World Cup League 2 stuff that was going on recently so that's interesting um, if you know if they're able to sell the rights to a women's bilateral series uh, that, that's that's pretty encouraging and you know, more power to them probably I mean Hong Kong you would think are looking a bit stronger you know just looking at the matchups but I guess you you know, the, the UAE do have the home ground advantage. It's, it's interesting that they're playing it in Ajman, which doesn't get a whole lot of uh, international cricket, maybe after the, the, the ill-fated Ajman All-Stars, ah, yes. which, um, you know, if, <laughs> if you're looking for some real comedy cricket, it's, um, yeah, it might still be on YouTube, just some of those clips where, you know, the, both teams have been um, allegedly approached by some dodgy bookmakers and, you know, they've got people trying to run themselves out and people trying to not run them out because of, you know, various uh, shenanigans going on. So, um, I, I don't know if that, you know, that, t- that series has kind of tarnished Ajman's uh, reputation as a, as a location within the UAE. But, uh, yeah, interesting to see uh, some some cricket being played there and, uh, yeah, it should be an interesting uh, and entertaining series. As long as they don't call it the Ajman All-Stars, everything should be fine. But, yeah, I think this will be a great test for, for Hong Kong. And as you said, the UAE has a, more of an experience experimental team but you know UAE went through from the the Asian qualifiers to the T20 World Cup qualifier that'll be later later this year and they did that with flying colors I think unbeaten against the likes of of Hong Kong and Nepal so it'll be great warm-up for those Hong Kong players to be going into the fair rate competition but also just a, a test of where where they're at even if it is a little bit experimental for the UAE because you know as we've discussed before you know the, the UAE are probably the sort of shooting stars really of women's cricket at the moment coming through that that Asian region and similar to I think we always come back to the FIFA qualification uh, pathway but you know thinking about how you know Australia getting out of Oceania or at least qualifying meaning that it kind of gives room for someone else you know now that Thailand are getting you know auto 
automatic spot at at this qualifier due to their positioning in the last World Cup in Australia. You know, it really opens the door for someone like the UAE to be to be coming out of even though these these small regional events that only allow one team getting through. If we remember Ireland with the last team getting a spot in the World Cup qualifier by virtue of their highest ranking, despite being beaten by Scotland at the qualifiers, it's it's great to see that the UAE coming through and really interested to see how well excited to see how they go at those global qualifiers. But no, as you said, good um, work by the UAE cricket. And, uh, I, and it may be being played in Ajman as well, is that the pitches that they'll be playing on or would have had access to are, are just had a little bit too much traffic on them. But um, good for Ajman to get some, some international cricket. That tri-series uh, running from the 27th to the 30th of April. Let's move to Nepal. Uh, they've announced a new self-governed T20 league, which is sure to ruffle a few feathers in the domestic scene there and will be met with a lot of discussion and analysis as well. It's a pretty bold move. There there were announcements by Can this week, but apart from just saying that it was going to happen and they've put the plans in place, there aren't too many more details to add. There are no dates to speak of, no sponsorship details or TV rights or even teams or marquee players for that matter. So... It still begs the question, Nick, to start off with, we know that everything in Nepal in terms of domestic cricket and, and quite a bit of its organisation has been rather ad hoc in nature. One of the th- the things that has sort of kept Nepali cricket alive in probably since their initial suspension in 2016 has been the work that the franchise T20 leagues run not by can have done in almost filling the void left by uh organization like can so it ponders the question how does this kind of fit in the ecosystem of nepali cricket and what does it mean for the other leagues and in fact domestic cricket in general in the country because i have the suspicion that this will lead to quite a lot of conversation and whether or not any of it leads to to any progress sort of remains to be seen at this point yeah tim can probably talk a bit more about some of the administrative side of things but my impression is that if you as a governing body are going to set up a league to compete with an existing league that you've sanctioned already. I don't know, it's quite strange to be doing that. So are they going to try and set up this sort of hypothetical Nepal T20 league as a... Uh, as a competitor to the EPL, and I mean, uh, where where does the Pokhara Premier League even fit into that? Um, <laughs> you know, there, there's a lot of, as you said, privately run leagues that sort of pop up and and disappear in Nepal, and uh, the leagues that are privately run have been basically the only domestic cricket that many of Nepal's cricketers have been getting, and Nepal's domestic scene has been pretty chaotic over the last couple of years. Um, I noticed that Can Cricket Association of Nepal have a new general manager that they've just got on board. So potentially this is, you know, they're, they're trying to rationalise the somewhat messy domestic scene. You know, you, you look to India and they are, the IPL is obviously the juggernaut, which is a private league. Uh, but they do have a couple of other kind of more regional T20 leagues that basically run more as kind of development leagues. Um, so potentially, you know, the Can sort of home brand uh, T20 league, if you will, might be more focused on sort of regional development rather than the glitzy private league in, in the way that the EPL. So, you know, potentially they can coexist in that way and have it more of a serious regional competition rather than a, a star players and, and big salaries private league. I mean, you've, you've got in the notes what's going on with the 50 over competition and that's a whole other kettle of fish and, and then whether they even want to bother with any multi-day cricket as well. So there's a lot of uh, domestic cricket that doesn't happen that I think can probably should be focusing on before they try and run their own T20 league. 
Um, that's not to say that the EPL is, you know, perfect. They have their own sort of financial interests and, and that isn't necessarily pulling in the same way as uh, as Can wants to go. But yeah, hopefully they can find a way not to sort of cannibalize each other and because I don't, I don't think that's particularly helpful. So yeah, another challenge. Um, seems like a, a strange focus, you know, as as a priority. If you're the new guy coming in to get underway, but yeah, if they do it right, it could be quite good for development because, as we've seen, the talent pathway into the Napoli team is still you called it ad hoc. Um, and yeah, it it really is. Um, you know, the the famous story of Sandeep. I mean, the only reason he was found was because um. Kabudu Dasanayka was going to, to a wedding and they sort of saw this kid playing. And, Basant Regmi's wedding. Yeah, exactly. Um, and they, they thought he looked all right. Yeah, so if that's your talent pathway, clearly there's more work to be done. So, yeah, hopefully they can uh, kind of rationalise a lot of what's going on in Nepal because they have the enthusiasm, they have the talent, they have the playing base. They just don't have the administration at the moment. Yeah, it's, it, it's a real tough one. And I, the first thing that comes to mind is a cart before the horse saying, well, why are you spending all this time and effort on this when you've got so much work to do in the domestic scene? But the reality is that you need money to run a domestic scene and you might say there's enough interest there to support a, a domestic competition competition and you know that virtuous circle of fan engagement getting people interested in the game wanting to be playing and it kind of going around and feeding itself however I, I agree with just your, your inklings there about about priorities you know you've got a really well established well the, the leading associate t20 league there already in the epl and it seems that it's not so much knee-jerk but to, to come out and announce this without any semblance of other plans you know there could be a lot, a lot of other things going on in the background about what that means for these other leagues that had been basically doing the federation's job in the absence of a federation you know there are other things that you could be looking at while having perhaps a sunsetting period of the position of the epl in the in the market or a a merger or a partnership deal down the line you know what they don't have they don't have a women's franchise competition Mm. you know and there was probably a a potential well there is an opportunity there we're talking about fair break and the fact it's being played in dubai you know i guess we've seen similar issues i say similar issues but when can announcing player salaries and the, and the difference between men's and, and, and women's, maybe that kind of gave a bit of an insight as to where the, f- the focus was going to be. But you, know, you want to look at opportunities that could put Nepal cricket on the map. It's not another cookie-cutter T20 league. And I have to disagree with you, Nick, and, and, and where they're, they're going to position it. I think with the money that they've supposedly sold the media rights for, they're going to try and make this huge and bigger than what the EPL was or could be. And there'll be a bit of ego in that as well of making, no, this is the Nepal Premier League. You know, It's whatever they end up calling it, the NT20 or whatever it ends up being. And there's going to be a, a lot of focus on it. And I just fear that if it doesn't work and we see it collapse... Well, if it just or it doesn't even get off the ground, then what has happened elsewhere? What's happened in the districts? What's happening in development? And whether it's T20 cricket or 50 over cricket, you know, we could not so much argue about whether we need to be pinpointing 50 over cricket as something they need to be building, but they just need to be building cricket and cricket systems that that, that feed themselves within the districts and then, and then feed up. Because, you know, talent is not their problem. We've we've gone over this many times before, but I think there was probably a, a chance there maybe to also go side by side and look at a, a women's event that could actually be something that, that wasn't happening elsewhere in the world. But again, they may not have thought or may not have had the interest from media rights 
again. So, well, it's an interesting one. I don't think a general manager's lasted more than a year or so in the last last few years. I think Barwana gave me <laughs> the poison chalice. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Before Can was suspended in 2015-16, and then she stayed on to to help out the ICC. I think in almost an unofficial GM or CEO capacity, but I'm not sure what connection she has now. So very hard to get any continuity there. I don't think your associate CEO or GM gig is your your one or two year contract and then you kind of move on you know and look for renewal like there's all a lot of long-term plans that need to go down where people talk about CEO gigs being quite ephemeral and you know you get someone in to execute a strategy and you get renewal and you make sure we don't get uh, we being the, the royal we about a cricket association um, getting too too stuck in our ways but Nepal cricket is not something that needs you know five GMs in five years <laughs> yeah mo- probably more than anywhere but uh, and this is really me talking into a you know a long Vanuatu contract by the way you know <laughs> yeah Mark Stafford are you are you listening to this I was gonna say <laughs> if only we had a CEO on the show to talk about this That's your job application for <laughs> well okay uh, maybe I should have started that with from my personal perspective and, and in what I've learned when you got something like this this is a you know a five year plus gig for someone to actually get put some plans in put some roots down and start you know the building box because you know you start shooting too high and you and 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 maybe i look back on the hong kong experience of having an element of that where uh, everything that happened with the blitz and what we're trying to get the sixes back up did that take too much time and did that take away from other things and did that mean my time there was shorter than and i not necessarily saying it was, but I think it's it's definitely a perspective, and maybe that's shaped you know me now where I am. But I think any kind of administrator or sort of board member worth their salt, especially if they're talking to the ICC and listening to them, you're not going to be advising them to you know bring in a, a GM and run them into the ground and don't support them, and then you're going through the same process again. And I think of all associates out there, the one that has the most potential versus the one that's probably kicked more own goals than most Nepal's probably right out there in, in front so I just hope that they can get it right and put down some long-term plans that aren't necessarily all around a glitzy t20 men's league but there's actually something coming behind it too well yeah and just to build on that point about the women's competition yes it would be a, a kind of a more unique selling point which is something as we've said they already have the Everest Premier League for a men's tournament but you know full membership is definitely something that they're looking at and there's no reason why they shouldn't be looking at full membership. But to get there, they need their women's team to be a lot better, basically. The the women's team's nowhere. Uh, you know, if, if they're playing a five-match series against Thailand, they're losing four or five matches. You know, their, their, their women's team is not anywhere close to getting to a World Cup, let alone beating full members. So I think that should be a priority if they're looking at full membership, uh, which they should be. So, yeah, why aren't they using this opportunity to do a bit of a reset, maybe focus on the women's game? The men's game, in a way, can look after itself because there is that interest and that, and that talent coming through. Sure, improve the, <laughs> the, in, improve the pathways, improve the administration, but in terms of the enthusiasm, they'll be getting 15,000, 20,000 people to Nepal home games. So, that's for the men. So, you know, that's not something they need to build up. That's that's already there. So, I guess I would be saying is, you know, focus on where they're a bit weaker and that is on the women's side. Yeah, and I feel a bit weird talking so much about Nepal and not having a rant coming from Daniel. <laughs> so, I think we should probably... <laughs> Uh, no, nothing really for me. I think the only thing I would probably add is that an overall calendar, even just a summer of Nepali cricket, you know, wherever you want to put that summer of cricket in into in, Nepal's schedule, wherever you put it, it needs to be long enough for some 
tangible and apparent development from the players who get to spend time in the middle playing multiple formats of the game. I think the constant bugbear in Nepali cricket is, and, and you can look at League 2 as an example of this, they've played, I think, 12 games in the League 2 cycle and they've used 23 players and they don't have any continuity within their squad. One, because of the change of coach that they seem to have every every year and, and that's another topic. But they just don't have a stable base or a big enough sample size of cricket to determine who's better than who with the bat in particular at international level. So you would just hope that a T20 tournament like this lasts longer than two weeks to give some players some time in the middle and there's still thought of 50 over cricket and 50 over cricket seasons because time and time again, the proof is in the pudding for Nepali cricket. They didn't qualify for a T20 World Cup this year again and you could probably put that down to the batting frailties they had and that's where the weakness is often shown from a lack of match practice in the middle it's with the bat you know it's it's batting is so much different to just being in the nets it's about judging runs it's about working with partners bowling is a very repeatable action and batting is quite different to that way you need to think about it in the context of actually being out there in the middle so to kind of bring it back to one of the the overarching points that we make about Nepali cricket there just needs to be a long enough summer where you can gain experience and gain an idea from a selector's standpoint who's better than who and is another t20 tournament going to fix that in the short term maybe but in the long term no it, it can't so i think the other thing to think about is that they're about to host uh, a zimbabwe a squad for matches both boards are attempting to make those list a fixtures but in the grand scheme of things you know the thing that they want to get more out of this is some just some time in the middle and just some development for their players looking at the squad that zimbabwe is sending considering they're also sending players to South Africa at the same time not a very strong team and as Nick mentions in our notes they got you know knocked around by Namibia in some matches not too long ago Tinatenda Mutambodzi leads the team and Victor Niauchi is one key player in that group Luke Johnway another but looking at that squad it is very green in its own right so how much Nepal actually gains from that remains to be seen and, and we'll talk about that too a little bit more once you know we, we find out some more and, and those matches are sort of played in front of us uh, moving north to Scandinavia, Scandinavian cricket, European club cricket is starting to begin uh, in terms of their summer. And Tim, there's a vested interest for you in Denmark with your own Patrick Mataltava finally making his debut for Herning. Had a couple of visa issues to iron out before he did get a chance to get on the field. But making runs in his first hit out, Tim, good news for you guys. But I think overall, how significant is, is a season away for Patrick, you know, for his development, I know he's done it in Australia in the past, but to get the chance to play in, in Danish cricket, get used to some different conditions, just how beneficial can that be for his cricket? Well, yeah, he started with a bang, you know, 99 off 55. And although he's done a season in the north of England before, I'm not quite sure it would have been as cool as it's been uh, in Denmark since he's arrived. You know, I mentioned a couple of weeks ago the uh, the saga that was his travels there. Um, I was actually doing a, an email back to the, the club in Denmark to try and collate everything together because we We've had three cancelled flights, two COVID tests, and a partridge in No, and the fact that it, you know, it was such a saga to get him there. Air Vanuatu kept moving the limited repatriation flights out of here, so literally booking tickets in the day before, actually on the day that he got out after Evan had actually moved a, a flight from earlier in the day to later, meaning that he, he wasn't going to make his connecting flight in Sydney. So we ended up booking him through Qatar into Denmark, and where luckily neither country had any COVID restrictions or testing because he had actually tested positive the day before, but he was still able to get on the flight 
get to Sydney, get through Sydney, go to Qatar, go to Copenhagen. But yeah, I've watched the highlights on YouTube and it's just typical Patrick playing up on his toes really nicely against the off spinners behind point a lot. Playing on synthetic, though it's tough ball and spin to Patrick, but just hitting straight two. So a really good start. But to your question about how important it is, you know, to get high quality cricket for anyone in associate cricket, high quality consistent cricket is really important. And as much as I'd love to say that for him to stay all year long here, you're just not going to get the consistency. You know, with the challenge, like a lot of associates are trying to get the number of games around the number of grounds that we have and also the, the lack of a uh, number of high quality players within club cricket, meaning that you're not going to get the consistency that you may get elsewhere and it's just great for him to get experience elsewhere and he's also being paid really well the club are earning are really looking after him you know i don't think i'm giving away any state secrets but uh, you know renting a, a flat for him and providing him a car and paying him on top you know that means he's going to be able to, to live a good life there and, and be able to save for his family back here too so it's a much better option from for vanuatu cricket that patrick goes to play cricket in denmark rather than patrick goes to pick fruit in australia which has happened in the past when he's been been unavailable so challenge is i guess for any team country in our in our predicament or our challenge is that you know the more we send our good players away you know Narlin was also pegged to to fly but had some issues around passports and at the time Vanuatu were issuing issuing new passports that ran out of passport booklets just one of the challenges of being here but <laughs> Jeez. yeah they've come in now and, and there's been lines outside the uh, passport offices but that's that's all getting sorted we just got all of our ones sorted for our players in time for Canada and July but the more of your better players you send away what does that do to domestic cricket you know in some ways it weakens it but in other ways it probably provides a level for people coming into the game that that gets them more participation outcomes rather than high performance ones but it just means I guess you know vis-a-vis Nepal conversation it's about getting your priorities right and building and making sure you've got a system that's providing a, a walking atmosphere to new to new cricketers providing a pathway that means that people can get better and be playing more consistently against better players as well so yeah it's a really good one for us and i hope we continue to build on that now that it looks like it's going to be easier for us to travel and i don't think it's necessarily something for later this year although it might be more of an option for some of our women's players because whilst we will have a tournament later in the year there's no icc tournament so there could be an opportunity there to start investigating chances for them to play overseas too but yeah look, watching those highlights game one after all the hassle trying to get him on that plane i think the club's very happy that they've got him there <laughs> Well, you would be, you know, 99 off 55. Thanks for coming. Took a wicket too, handy bowler. We often forget that with his big hitting, but... uh yeah, Denmark and uh, Vanuatu cricket, couple of a uh, couple of big interests for me, and uh, of course Patrick Matau Tava smashing it is always good value. So uh, good emerging cricket areas right there. I was going to say it is right in your wheelhouse, isn't it? <laughs> and there needs to be a Canadian connection when both of these sides go to play in Canada. Well, yeah, there you and go. Hopefully you're there. <laughs> so I, I reckon that That'll, that's yeah, that's sure. going to be Nirvana. You just. <laughs> And Denmark have been great already. They've already mentioned that, you know, they're potentially going to allow Patrick when available because it's actually quite a distance away to train with a national team and he'll probably be on the same plane as the Danish national team coming to Canada <laughs> as well when you think about it. So i just got to make sure he's wearing a green tracksuit and not can a... He, can he sneak into the team meetings to look at the strategy? Well, I don't know. They all speak Danish, don't they? So he's, That's uh, true, yeah. Well, I guess by the time he's flying, he might have picked up a bit anyway. So no, just excited for him. And it, and it kind of feels like it's cliche, isn't it? The world's healing. But it just feels like we're getting back to a little bit of normality. And it's funny to say that, you know, less than... 
like, you know, six weeks after the first wave hit Vanuatu. But I guess we're just very lucky that it was Omicron and it probably kick-started normality rather than just, just staying back with the shutters up. So, no, exciting to see him. And, and like you said, we forget about his bowling, the fact that he, you know, won Vanuatu's, you know, two points almost single-handedly defending double digits mm. against Malaysia in the, in the Challenge League. So he's, he's more than capable. My concern is it's like, oh, bowling. It's like, you haven't done much for a few months. Just take it easy. Take it easy. Look after those hamstrings. <laughs> Hi, I'm Irene van Seil from the Namibian national ladies team. I'm the captain and thank you for listening to the Emerging Cricket Podcast. It's a long weekend in Japan coming up and that means we have another Japan Premier League to look forward to. For more on this weekend's event, Head of Cricket Operations over there, Alan Kerr. Hi guys, thanks very much for having me on. Happy that you're looking forward to the Japan Premier League. It's an exciting competition that we hold every year. It features five teams who... North Kanto Lions, the East Kanto Sunrisers, the South Kanto Super Kings, the West Kanto Hurricanes, and the Kansai Chargers. So four of the five teams are sort of Tokyo-based-ish, and Kansai boys come up every year. It's a, it's a big occasion for them. Uh, it's the only tournament we hold at the moment that goes over three days. So it starts this Friday. It's a long weekend here in Japan. Uh, it starts Friday and finishes on Sunday. Uh, last year, the West Kanto Hurricanes won the title for the first time, but the South Kanto Super Kings have always been pretty strong, whilst the East Kanto Sunrisers, coached by another friend of your podcast, Dougal Benningfield, uh, are looking very strong this year and want to bounce back from losing the final last year. Uh, lots of players to look out for. The uh, exciting fast bowling of Kohei Kubota, uh, Declan suzuki McComb featured very well in the Futures League that took place last weekend. It's a, a new competition for our under-23s. Guys like Marcus Thurgate should be in action. Makoto Taniyama, uh, all, all big names in Japan cricket. Sabarish Ravi Chandran from the Super Kings. They're, they're pretty motivated, having uh, traditionally been very strong in this competition, but looking to bounce back after a couple of four years. So, yeah, it starts on, on Friday. There'll be two matches a day on each ground. So, actually, four matches available to watch. We are streaming everything on our YouTube channel, the JCA YouTube channel. So it'd be great if people tune in and watch and, and comment on our social media feeds. We'll be doing quite a lot on, on Instagram and Twitter and, and regular posts on Facebook as well. Uh, but YouTube is a place to be really to watch the action. And it'd be great to see uh, some followers there and some, some fresh comments and do interact with us. We're going to have some commentary for the final, which will be in Japanese. Uh, I am looking at getting some commentary in English, which would probably be me. Sorry about that. Uh, but if we can get that up, then, then we will. Uh, and yeah, I'll, I'll just be there just filling people in on some of the characters and individuals. But, but yeah, look, it's, it's a really great tournament for us. It's a, a big, big, big weekend for the Japan cricket community. And, and I think the standard of the cricket should be pretty good too. So hopefully uh, some of your emerging cricket fans can, can tune in and, and see how the game is going over here in Japan. Should be a good example of it. Thanks. Head of Cricket Operations, Alan Kerr, ahead of the Japan Premier League. Make sure to tune in on the Japan YouTube channel. Finally, the Cayman Islands were 5-0 winners over the Bahamas in their bilateral tri-series. Ramon Seeley led the runs with 181 at an average of 45 and a strike rate of 189, while Kevon Basil topped the wickets tally with 8 at an average of under 9. That's everything in the Emerging game this week. For more, log on to EmergingCricket.com and we'll speak to you next week.